This podcast is sponsored by Reformation Heritage Books and the new release by author Jonathan Landry Cruz, The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. There's more at heritagebooks.org and at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, and my name is Todd Pruitt. I am joined, as always, uh, by my friend and co-host, Carl Truman. Um, Carl, it's good to see you. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world, but one of the things that I do want to call attention to is that when um, I, I earlier today, knowing that we were going to record, I sent out a little message on Facebook asking people if they had thoughts about questions they might want answered or, or that kind of thing. And I was, I was uh, particularly interested in the number of times um, that people on Facebook asked me uh, specifically or asked both of us specifically to address the issue of uh, the sorts of colors that are appropriate for men to wear, particularly in their trousers. Now, I can only assume yeah. that they were referring to you and some of your um, choices yeah, yeah. Uh, when it comes to like wine colored and mustard colored trousers, that sort yeah. of thing. Well, uh, I think uh, certainly claret is a very good color. It's actually my college colors. I'm wearing claret colored pants today. Well, for our English listeners, trousers. Don't want to get confused. Uh, right. That's my college colors. St. Catherine's College, Cambridge, you're claret and pink. So I had uh, huh. claret trousers, uh, college tie, and the pink pocket square today. Okay. Very stylish, I would say. Right. Well, and, and I would say that probably we could all be thankful that you chose to go with the claret or the red wine uh, color over the pink for the trousers. At least yeah, we have I do, that. I do own what I like to think of as a pair of coral colored trousers. Yeah, but, uh, I, I've heard you explain yeah. that before, that yeah. they are coral colored. Coral I, colored, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's a... I, I think that's a dodge, um, uh, quite honestly. Um, I mean, it sounds like you're trying to avoid charges at that point, but I'll leave that for our listeners to uh, I'm constantly um, to try trying to, determine. To, to dress on campus in a way that makes me stand out a bit. Now, in an academic environment, merely <laughs> wearing a tie makes you stand out somewhat, but I will typically wear uh, pants, a uh, tie, occasionally a shirt, uh, uh -huh. sometimes uh, a jacket. <laughs> My wife won't let me buy one of those English sort of white blazers with the purple stripes. That I oh, think well, that's good. In the summer, but uh, that's I, good. Try, I try to maintain certain sartorial panache. When sartorial I panache. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I'm going to have yeah. to, I've got to find a way to work that into a conversation at some point. I this preached week. from David Hall's pulpit in burgundy trousers. Uh, this last you week. did. So he let you, he let you step into that high pulpit with burgundy. He's trousers. A, he's a former Labrie hippie guy. There's, there's still a bit of, of inner rebel there, I think. He's, right. Uh, never seen him in the Schaefer Lederhosen. I have to draw the line. <laughs> <later>. <laughs> right. um, well, as long as we're on this topic, um, uh, 
the topic of sartorial decadence yes. sartorial decadence now um carl so i i've been wondering about uh what it is that that christians um need to be concerned about in terms of uh what goes on in the public square and one thing that was interesting in fact you you wrote about it a while ago was the appointment of a man named sam Britton, um who is a, a, a very active and open um you know quote-unquote queer activist and yeah. and we will we will spare our listeners details yeah as to the kinds of disturbing sorts of activities he engages in and openly talks about engaging in and and makes efforts to educate the public in the kinds of behaviors that um qu quite honestly uh are 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 dangerous dangerous for our health do tremendous damage yes very very disturbing sorts of uh things that require one's mind to go into very strange places so that you're willing to do things to your body and other people's bodies that that are highly highly risky now the reason why i bring him up is because he was recently um, appointed to the u.s department of energy um, in the biden administration and um sam Britton, you you can look him up you can you know people can find online uh uh his picture you'll he stands out as we say uh like a sore thumb uh quite deliberately so uh the bright red lipstick he wears dresses he's clearly a male um but uh uh dresses very flamboyantly etc and here he is a uh a, a, a member of uh of, of the u.s department of of energy now i have no idea um how uh, intelligent he is in terms of uh energy policies or or how skilled he is or competent he is in writing energy policies my guess would be he and i would disagree on things um but that would be the case in in any kind of presidential administration my, yeah, my question and, and is I, I would say Todd, that disagreeing with you is not necessarily a sign of incompetence. <laughs> it might it might be it, it be might a be a sign of a good citizen just to disagree with me might might yeah. kind of be a resume enhancement for most people <laughs> um but uh so so my question to you is do do mr brinton's um uh public and private activities his activism mm. is that a matter for christians to be concerned about or should the attitude of christians be well you know i mean that's just the way the world is and as long as he is competent in doing his job at the US, u.s department of energy um, it's really nothing for us to 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 comment on publicly. Well, I think the latter would be the case if his private life was private. Yeah. In some ways, he's emblematic of a tremendous shift in our culture over the last 25, 30 years, largely, I think, fueled by technology, but also connecting to you know, my favorite topic, expressive individualism, life right. as performance, that has essentially eroded the, the private space to almost nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, everything now has to be performed in public. And, you know, I, I have no idea what my neighbors get up to behind right. closed doors. I have no idea what my colleagues get up to behind sure. closed doors. 
you and I, we have no idea what we get mm-hmm. up to behind closed doors, but it doesn't matter because our interactions are in the, the public space. Right. Or in the context of a friendship that makes a clear distinction between what goes on in our friendship and, and what goes on on a, at home. Mm. What we're seeing with somebody like Brinton, I think, is a general sociological phenomenon, is the disappearance of the private space. Yeah. That everything that happens privately needs to be acted out publicly in order for the person to be authentic. Mm. And then, of course, it's also used, and he's very open about this, it's also used as a kind of weapon or a stick to beat people with whom he he disagrees right, uh, right. on these things. It's almost like a public dare. Yeah. When, when you're that flamboyant in public, and again, uh, all all our listeners need to do is just plug in his name and, and you'll see what we're talking about. It, it is it is a kind of public display that is is undoubtedly, undoubtedly an attempt for him to say, I I just dare you to say something. Yeah. We're not talking here about uh yeah the polite gay guy who happens right. to be in a same-sex relationship at home. Right. right. Uh, I, mean, I, w- I would actually encourage re- listeners not to look this guy up. Yeah, well, around. that's a good point. In yeah. the article I wrote in World Magazine, I think I did, or, or the editors put a link in to something about him. Rod Dreher had written something, and as, and as Rod is prone to do, he spelled it out. He in gave very clear, in very clear much, detail. Yeah, too much information, and and I was preaching yeah. in a church that Sunday. One of the elders said to me, "said Wow, when I clicked on that link, man, I I learned stuff that I didn't really need to know." Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're we're not talking here about the the private citizen who keeps their sexual and identity proclivities to themselves. Right. We're talking about somebody who shoves it right in your face, almost literally. I would right. say that score yeah and for me it raises questions yeah going back to the competency question yeah i think he's an mit grad on Mm. on pure academic smarts he looks a highly qualified person to occupy this position you know if you just saw his resume i suspect you think this is a first class guy for the position but seeing who he is seeing his wider persona raises serious questions for me about the moral quality of an administration that would hire him. Because you're not simply hiring somebody on the basis of technical competence. You're hiring somebody that you think will be an appropriate person to have people working under him. You're hiring somebody, I would have thought, that you hope will cultivate a a comfortable, and to use the modern parlance, safe working environment. Mm -hmm. Pretty clear to me that this man doesn't do that. And one of the burdens of my article was, you know, the, the silence of the never-Trump evangelicals on this, who are jumping all over Donald Trump because, yes, he's a very crude, if not obscene yeah. person. I carry no flag for Donald Trump right. whatsoever. Right. But what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall anybody in the Trump years of quite this man's bizarre caliber right. being imposed on a section of the government workforce anywhere. And I yeah. raise the question. You're the parent of a 22-year-old Christian daughter, just graduated from college, goes off to work in this man's department. You're going to be comfortable with that? Comfortable with the kind of culture that leads to that appointment? I would say there are things in this man's life that disqualify him from holding a management or or holding the kind of position he does have that have nothing to do with the technical competence in his field and everything to do with his moral decadence. Mm-hmm. The fact, the fact that we have a political culture 
that doesn't find this problematic, I find very problematic and yeah. very, very disturbing relative. And I'm not making a party political point at this point. I think no. Trump was in many ways a function of a decadent political culture. Sure. All the signs are, though, that it, it ain't getting better at this point. It's just getting worse. Right. And, you know, I wonder, too, as well, cl clearly, people in the U.S. are not just sitting around on their hands wondering uh, who all is employed in the U.S. Department of Energy. Okay, we know that. However, for the first time I can ever remember in my lifetime, there are public discussions, numerous articles and news pieces about a member of the U.S. Department of Energy. I mean, when was the last time we had conversations about someone, you know, that that far into the into the bureaucracy? I can't remember a time. The reason why there are headlines, the reason why this guy is easy to find online now is not because of his skills in that particular field. It is because of the very um, bizarre, dangerous, uh, sinful uh, lifestyle that he lives and not just lives, but promotes and insists should be uh, celebrated. And I assume uh, he means that in the workplace as well. Oh, he's very um, clear about that. He's very yeah. clear about deliberately provoking Right. Uh, co-workers on this point. And you know, again, it raises for me the question of what is the vision of the common good in America, right. at least among our governing classes? What is yeah. the vision of the common good? Because all of the, the things that are protected in the Bill of Rights, all of the things that we find in the Constitution have to be understood, I think, within a broader moral vision mm -hmm. of what the common good is. We know, you know that screaming fire in a crowded theatre, for example, that's not protected by the First Amendment. That doesn't fit with the common good of what's going on in, 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 in a crowded theatre if there is no fire. Uh, well, how does, how does freedom of expression connect to, to this man? Right. How does, does he have the right to thrust his sexual and identity proclivities in the face of his co-workers? Mm -hmm. In a, yes, it's a free country. He's entitled to be whoever he wants to be. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he can demand that he brings that into the workplace, even the government workplace. Right. And it's troubling um, because uh, when, when you celebrate, when you're a president and, and, and you celebrate the appointment of this individual and others like him, um, what you're saying to your people is that the things that this man promotes are are good and i stand by him because this is worth celebrating the appointment of this person and um uh, again if we're talking about what is for the public good then we have a a very clear division um, in our country and even within the church um, broadly speaking over what constitutes the public good now it's interesting because we have that division even within the realm i'm not just talking about those who belong to crazy, um, you know, nearly apostate denominations, but even within uh, uh, the, the, the family of evangelicals, of, quote, conservative Bible-believing evangelicals, there's a, a real difference between, uh, in opinion, of, of, of what constitutes the, the, the public good. So, for instance, um, uh, David French, you know, rather famously defended drag queen story hour in public libraries because he said, that um, we that's free speech and we just should not restrict that at all. And 
it made me wonder, and I still wonder now, a couple of years after he defended that and that we need to make space for Drag Queen Story Hour, is that is the Christian obligated, the, the Christian who believes in religious liberty, the Christian who believes in liberty of conscience, the Christian who believes in freedom of speech, does that then obligate the Christian on the basis of consistency to say, therefore, we need to make a place for Drag Queen Story Hour in our public libraries? No, I don't think it does. I mean, do, I <laughs> I want, don't do we want drag queens arrested and thrown into prison? I personally would say not. Right, yeah, I right. can't speak for all of our listeners on You're that. You're not a theonomist, and so therefore. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think we have an obligation towards children. We have an obligation mm -hmm. towards the vulnerable in our society. We don't allow any old crazy person to scream and shout whatever they want in, in public spaces. We never have done. Right. Freedom of speech has never been an unqualified right. It's right. always fitted into a broader conception of what is the common good, what brings good to society as a whole. I think the problem we now face is there is no consensus on what that common good is. Mm -hmm. We don't share a moral vision as a culture or society anymore, which means then that, yeah, all we're left with is the raw right of freedom of speech. We have no moral vision, shared moral vision mm -hmm. that allows us to interpret and apply things like uh, free speech, freedom of expression right. in any coherent manner. Uh, I mean, you see this in the, in the, the teaching in, in schools, uh, Ron DeSantis is the so-called don't say gay bill or the, you know, the anti-group right. bill, depending on which side you are. But I'd want to say uh, restricting what is taught to kids four, five, six years old about mm -hmm. sex, that's not an infringement of freedom of speech. Right. Uh, it's not hypocritical uh, to oppose that. I think it is. it represents uh, the adult's obligation to protect the vulnerable in society. Right. Which, you know, again, not to pick on our, our friend uh, David. Well, actually, yeah, to pick on David French. Um, you know, he recently wrote a piece where he was very much criticizing um, conservatives and uh, those in Florida, uh, apparently because there are, you know, and again, from the governor on down, a lot of people who really don't think it's the school's job to teach five-year-olds about sex. And again, for a, a well-known public evangelical uh, to criticize that, I think surprised some people. I think by this point, you and I aren't surprised anymore. But it was it was it was troubling to hear someone who calls himself an evangelical um, to take swipes and to accuse of hypocrisy people who um, who think you know maybe maybe five and six year olds shouldn't have adults that their parents don't know teaching them about sex. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I cannot speculate about Ron DeSantis's. Uh, motivations. Sure. I, I can't read his mind. I, in my Histories and Fallacies book, I talk about the difference between motivations and intention. Like, yeah. I cannot read the man's mind. Maybe some of these bills are being brought in as pure populist measures to appeal to the Trumpite. Right. I don't know. What I do know is that the intention of the bill is to protect children. Right. That seems to me worthy. And if you think that the biggest problem facing American society today is that kids aren't getting enough sex education. Right. Well, the biggest threats to free speech in our society today are those attempting to exert some sort of control 
over the curriculum, which may well actually be thoroughly approved of by parents, even if disapproved of by Disney. Right. You, know, you think that that's where the big threat to culture is coming mm-hmm. from. I think we're, we're in real trouble at this point. Um, right. Particularly the issue of sexual codes and sex education goes right to the very heart of what a society is and what a society thinks is valuable and sacred. And you know, to think that, that teaching perversions that yeah. I would never even heard of right. until I got to college. Right. Right. The five, six, and seven-year-olds is somehow protected by the First Amendment, is, is right. a legitimate use of freedom of speech, whatever. Uh, that's the equivalent of saying freedom of expression covers rape, porn, and snuff movies. Right. Right. No, it doesn't. No, right. it exactly. doesn't do that. And those things represent a deeply disturbed and decadent society. Yeah. And you are not an illiberal person if you have significant hesitations with the way educational policy on sex and sexual identity has been trending in this nation for the right. last 10, 15 years. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as a pastor of a church, I, I know what it is to have conversations with parents whose young children, um, uh, and, and what I, you know, this is just anecdotal. I hear mostly from uh, parents whose daughters are struggling with transgenderism now gender identity and these are young girls you know who um they're certainly not being taught this by their parents they're certainly not being taught this at church they're being taught this in other ways of course entertainment media Uh, they're being taught this in the schools though as well they're being taught this in classrooms they're being taught this according to the policies that are set at the schools and the things that they hear from school administrators in some cases and uh social media and the pressure that the kinds of peer pressure that comes from that combine that with the um increasingly and understandable uh uh, sense of of awkwardness that a lot of children go through and certain points of confusion and and now you've suddenly got deeply confused children the kind of confusion that used to last for just a very short time in kids lives and then they grow out of it now, what "quote unquote" responsible adults have done in their lives um, have deepened that confusion. And Carl, you know, you've said before at some point with some of these people, we just have to say, "Look, um, uh, they don't care about children." Yeah, they just don't care about children. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes out in when you read a lot of what's being put out there. It's simply bashing conservatives trying to rein things in. Okay, maybe Ron DeSantis is wrong. Well. Tell us what the alternative is. Right. Lay out the alternative. Right. Set out something that deals with the problems that you see in DeSantis's approach to things, mm-hmm. but offers a better way forward that still protects the children. It's right. the lack of that positive alternative and the constant fawning to, to the left on this that just makes me think this actually isn't about the children. Mm-hmm. It's about point scoring against people that certain individuals don't like right. and that. The children ultimately are the, are the people who suffer in this. Right. And, um, you know, Abigail Shirer's uh, book, um, yeah. um, Irreparable Damage, is, is a must read. In fact, I've got, there's several folks in my church now that are reading that book and uh, really seeing the danger that's involved. You know, it's interesting. A couple of months ago, uh, President Biden gave a State of the Union address. And in that, he made a point to speak to transgendered children and youth, and um, basically communicated to them 
that um, uh, they need to be encouraged and championed in this, and we believe in you. And and it was it was really a remarkably troubling moment in that it was a it was a clear driving of a wedge between those children and the vast majority of their parents who aren't excited about the fact that they don't know if they're a male or a female. And there again, you had the highest office in the land, the president of the United States, sending a very, very clear message that if you are a child who is a female, but now you think you're a male, that that's a good thing and should be celebrated. And those who are not celebrating it with you are doing harm to you. You know, we've mentioned Donald Trump. I'm not a, a Donald Trump flag waver as well. I was troubled by so many of his antics as many others were also. The, the, the problem is, is that when you had well-known evangelicals like Russell Moore and David French and others hand-wringing over the poor example that was received because of President Trump's childish tweeting and that sort of thing, I wonder what does more damage, though, to us as a culture, a, a president acting like a, a spoiled adolescent on Twitter. That's bad. President shouldn't act like that. Um, but what about a president who stands before the nation, so to speak, and speaks directly to children who are confused about their gender and tells yeah. them that they ought to embrace that? as an identity and that those who don't celebrate with them are not doing them any good. Yeah. He subverts the authority of parents. Right. He indicates the absolute ignorance of gender theory and where all this yeah. is coming from and his total uh, ignorance of the increasing number of, of people who want to detransition. Boy, that's an interesting thing that's happening right now, Carl, that very issue. And there's a few news outlets out there brave enough to be posting stories about this rising tide. And we knew it was going to come. We absolutely yeah. knew it was going to come. You said yeah. years ago, you're going to be interested to see the kinds of class action lawsuits that are going to be brought yeah. by, yeah. by all of these people now who realize that now that they've had their genitals removed, now that they've had their breasts removed, now that they are unable to have children and are left a wreck physically and emotionally and spiritually, when they begin to sue parents, doctors, um, activists, et cetera, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, and now all of a sudden we are beginning to hear from them. I had this done and I regret it deeply. One of the things that the church has to do, again, we've said this a lot, teach on the doctrine of creation, teach it over and over and over again, and, and hold out yeah. the gospel for those who have been so damaged by this. What do we say to the person who's been surgically mutilated? They've been converted. They regret it. They, they repent of that. We've got to take them to the cross. We have to keep taking them to the cross. Um, a, a God who redeems, a God who forgives, the scars will last. But within the church of Jesus Christ, they should find a community that will love them and walk with them in holiness. Yeah. And on that note, I can introduce the book that we're going to use as our giveaway today. And it's Laura Perry's book, Transgender to Transformed, published by Genesis Publishing Group, which is the story of somebody who has emerged from uh, a trans nightmare. Uh, we'd urge listeners to visit our website, mortificationspin.org, enter for a chance to win a copy of that book. Uh, if you don't, don't win the book, then please get hold of it and read it. It's sort of the, the trans equivalent of Rosaria mm -hmm. Butterfield's powerful and moving testament. And she, and she recommends this book, does she not? 
She recommends yeah. this book. Well, thank you for joining us for this latest report from the, the ruins of what is left <laughs> of a once great Western culture. Uh, we hope that uh, the conversation has at least provoked some thoughts uh, in your mind. And, and we look forward to being with you again next week. How much is that doggy in the window? The one with the waggly tail. How much is that doggy in the window? Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Everything going okay in Harrisonburg? Um, yeah. <laughs> Relative to pastoring in the Ukraine, for example, is that the uh... exactly everything's going great in comparison, you know, to to you know getting a negative book review, I guess, which is the worst of all conceivable sufferings. Yeah, I've never had one, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Identity. It's a word we hear quite often these days. Seems like people are having a harder time than ever figuring out just who they are. Could they be searching in the wrong places? Author Jonathan Landry Cruz offers a fresh and truly radical answer to the important question of who you are in his new book, The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. If you're seeking your identity in relationships, career, gender expression, or some other circumstances, then this book is for you. In his always winsome way, Jonathan shows you what the Bible has to say about everything you need for a lasting, fulfilling identity, one that is found outside of you and in Christ. The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ, from Reformation Heritage Books, glorifying God and strengthening His church. Visit heritagebooks.org. That's heritagebooks.org.